Hey everybody, it's Irina from The Family, where we help ambitious entrepreneurs build amazing companies. Picture this, Earth is on the verge of extinction. In order to survive, you travel with the remaining human survivors to an inhabitable planet. There, you need to build a new community and start a new life. It seems quite probable, no? Don't worry, we're not there yet. But for Mundi Vondi, CEO and co-founder of Klang, this scenario is not just a lingering thought. Together with his team, he has built a game called Seed that would allow us to virtually live out this story. We are very excited to have had Mundi at the family in Berlin. He shared with us what it means to create games using new technology that allows for more players to exist in the same world, way beyond what has previously been possible. Amongst other things, he will also discuss with us the structuring of the politics inside of Seed and what it means to build a virtual government. I hope you enjoy it. First question, um, we're going to get to Seed in just a bit. I'm just super curious to know a bit more about how you ended up in gaming. Um, I looked a bit at your background online, and most of what I could find was about your previous career, which was in fashion designing and fine arts. And so I was wondering how that transition happened and what prompted it. Uh, yeah, I, I think like I was always really interested in making games, even though I was working on the fields. Um, I was also a gamer, even though I was in fashion and, and arts. Um, and so for running into Ivar, who's my co-founder, and, and later Otter, who's uh, also my co-founder, we kind of yeah brainstormed, started brainstorming this uh, game. And, and our focus was really about you know emergence, because Eve was a great example of an emergent game. And we thought that's the most exciting um, space in games, but nobody's really taking advantage of that. Um, And Eve is uh, really hard to, to get into. It's a highly complicated game. Um, and so we thought... It was also pre-spatial OS. Yeah, so they built their own uh, service structure, actually. But um, our idea was that, like, could we make this emergent kind of game uh, where the players really built everything uh, themselves uh, more accessible? And uh, once we've kind of... Once we nailed down uh, what we thought was a, was a good idea, uh, We just decided to do it, and I put my fashion label on hold and uh, left uh, left Iceland and moved to Berlin. Cool. So, so that's the second question. So you met in Reykjavik, which was how long ago? Like, oof. Um, I think I met Ivar when I was uh, 18, maybe, which is uh, 13 years ago. <laughs> And uh, yeah, very quickly. I mean, I was I was playing a game called Generals th at the time, and uh, that was a, a kind of an RTS game or, or real-time strategy game where you kind of have your you build your little army, and yeah. um, because we were always three friends playing, it became very political, like okay. how we would. So that kind of started spawning an idea, like what if, uh, and so uh, if if it would be uh, more persistent and all these things that see this. And so what prompted the move to Berlin? Well, once we kind of nailed the idea and we uh, gathered some funding to start uh, our, our company, we, we knew that we couldn't do it in Iceland because uh, there was a kind of a capital control happening there. And, uh, and also there was two, two big uh, gaming companies. So. And uh, they were kind of sucking up all the talent, and uh, so just a very expensive, also atmosphere for for startups, I would say. 
And uh, so we, we just started looking around and, and uh, Berlin kind of uh, was, was coming out on top of the cities that we considered. And the first game you built wasn't Seed, so could you speak a bit about that experience and how that's sort of inspired what you're doing with Seed now? Yeah, yeah. So we, we always started the company on the mission of, of making Seed, but we knew when we started the company with the, with the little funding we had in the beginning, uh, we would never be able to execute on that, that very ambitious vision. And so we did a game called Rerunners, and uh, that was kind of in hopes of actually having that uh, make enough money that it would fund the production of Seed, uh, which it didn't, but, uh, <laughs> but it did give us enough uh, exposure. So it, it kind of, we won uh, the best multiplayer and the best game design at the Inter Game Awards in, in Tel Aviv and, and got a lot of positive press and built a community around it. And so that kind of gave us enough um, trust that we, we could actually make and ship games. And, and so that's how we started then fundraising for Seed. Right, so even if it wasn't an MVP in the sense of the first version of Seed, it was an MVP in the sense that it proved the team and proved investors exactly, that yeah. you were capable of building successful yeah, games. Much, yeah. And so, so um, I was wondering, with a game like Seed that you've been, you started developing, what, two years ago now about? Yeah. And we still don't know when the release date is going to be, but like, there's <laughs> obviously a big question of like, how do you interact with the people who are going to become your first users, and how do you build a community on something that isn't you know, fully out yet? So there's, I saw there's content, um, you might do events, but like, how do you think about community building on a product that you know, sort of takes so long to ship? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, key is just to, you know, s stick to it. I think we 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 did a, a strange thing, but we got a community manager in, uh, actually the same guy that was at Three Runners. Uh, when Three Runners went went uh, bust, we actually had to fire most of the company down to like a very skeleton crew. Um, but we brought him back in as soon as we got uh, more funding and started just building it up and. Yeah, it's always really daunting to start a community when there's nothing there, because there's obviously you have a Discord server, but there's nobody uh, maybe saying anything on there. Um, and so it takes just time and patience to, to start building it up. However, we're not like, uh, you know, we're not rushing into, you know, trying to do any kind of paid advertising or anything at this point, so we're just making it grow very organically. Um, and yeah, we, we, we of course take that really uh, seriously as like this will be a completely community-driven game. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's all about just uh, being active, posting stuff and, and all those classic things, I would say. And, and how much weight do these initial people have in the way that you're designing the game and thinking about the game? Because, you know, like sort of startup advice 101 is, you know, you should know who your users are and you should evolve your product based on that feedback. Obviously, when you're building a game as ambitious as Seed, that's not something that's so easy to do. Yeah. Um, because you can't have hundreds or thousands of people that are testing the game all the time and sort of saying what they like and what they don't like. Yeah. So how is it that you know, you're thinking about this at this point? Yeah, I mean, we did a, did a completely different approach from what gaming companies normally do. I think uh, what you just described is the kind of the, the smart way about it. <laughs> uh, but for us, it was, um, you know, just doing it differently, so doing a big project that would take many years, um, you know, really banking on that, you know, if we would pull this off, then it would be a good game. Uh, and uh, seeing that there are simulation games out there that are popular, naming like Sims and SimCity. Second or Life. Sec I'm, well, still, I'm still amazed at Second Life. Yeah, Second Life is weird. But, uh, 
so we know that you know the marking the market for games is huge and it's always growing and so there's there's a lot of um, a lot of potential to to do something new there and uh, I think you know when you when you are you know doing smaller projects then of course you need to start testing them as early as possible uh, even testing them before you make them uh, yeah. like uh, Singa did a lot um, but when you do like an MMO I think uh, you know, you kind of have to take that leap and, and hope for the best in, in some sense. Now, I mean, we, have, we are starting to kind of try to map out our core user base and doing all kinds of uh, market research and stuff like that. Uh, so it's starting, but, you know, we have a long way to go still. So um, it's just, yeah. You laughed when I said Second Life. You laughed and you said it was weird. Can you elaborate Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we get compared to them a lot. Uh, Second Life isn't really a game. It's like a. It's That's a play. What the founders say, but the people who describe it say they're play. So I don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, in Second Life, you're just kind of a flying avatar. Uh, it's more of a social network in a sense, um, with some weird alien sex. But it's like, um, yeah. So, so the difference is there that like we try, like we, ha it's very gamified in, in Seed. So. You know your characters need to eat and sleep, and they'll go around and like you know you can you can break into each other's houses and stuff like that isn't really possible. And Second Life is very walled off by by invisible walls and and just basically being very rigid and only banking on the the social aspect, uh, which we think is a huge part of our game as well. But it has you know more game to it if if that makes sense. Right, and you think that's like because you have different intents from the Second Life people, or because just you benefit from technology that they couldn't have dreamed of when they started Second Life? Um, I think so we're... Second Life 3.0, <laughs> Yeah. I don't, yeah, I mean, I hope obviously to get some of the Second Life users, but I think our users are more gamers than, than the users in Second Life. I think uh, users in Second Life are, are kind of maybe more uh, just looking for, you know, people to hang out with, uh, whereas, you know, the, the seed game can get pretty hardcore in terms of, like, how well or good you are at playing it. So. But yeah, I think that points to something interesting, which is um, how gaming companies manage the sort of online, offline lives of their users. Um, so yeah, you, you did mention the sort of Second Life is sort of a side hobby, not necessarily like a, a game. And I was wondering how you were starting to, starting to think about it, like not only necessarily in terms of how much time the people are spending on the game versus in the real world or whatever, uh, but also just in terms of the opportunities that you have for either creating offline communities or creating offline products and that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, we are, you know, trying to change the, the setup quite drastically there, actually. Like, I, I think, like I mentioned earlier, MMOs normally uh, have the kind of Achilles heel of, of people disappearing once they log off. And yeah. that, this is very, very unusual if, to, if you compare it to any kind of social network. Uh, same with Second Life. If you, leave, if you log off, your character disappears. Your house might be there, but that will now be an empty house with nobody kind of living there yeah. until you come back. And so any kind of communities that they've tried to build uh, are kind of difficult to get going because, uh, yeah, 90% of the players are offline. And so for us, it's, it's flipping that coin around and actually making you persist in the game much like your Facebook profile exists whether or not you're actively using Facebook. Yeah, there's something slightly different in the sense that like a lot of Facebook use is somewhat passive. So even if I, my profile still exists, you can see my pictures and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. But my avatar is static. 
Yeah. Whereas in Seed, you'd expect that if you come and see me or one of my 10 characters, there is some form of interaction. And so I'm wondering yeah. how you're thinking about that as well. Like, are you thinking of... Well, I mean, even though your, your, um, your, you know, your picture doesn't change on, on Facebook, uh, when you're offline, but like you know, there's still some level of interaction, right? You can like your pictures, you send yep. a message, you can invite you to an event, so you can do a bunch of stuff or interact with you whether you're actually actively using it or not. And so the same kind of applies here. We take it obviously a bit further, where your avatar, like where your, uh, well, we don't really call them avatars because you're you're not like as a player representing yeah. one of them, but uh, they might get into trouble and stuff like while you're not there. And so they actually, yeah, kind of lead their own lives in, in that sense. Right, so you're more like a director than an actor in that sense. You should tell them what to do, but sometimes they get in trouble with yeah. that, so you are doing it on purpose. Exactly, yeah. Um, quite early on, you brought on someone that most gaming companies wouldn't have brought on, and I'm thinking of Professor Lessig, and I was wondering if um, you could explain, one, how that happened, uh, and two, what was the reasoning behind it? Yeah, I mean, I actually uh, met him in Iceland at a dinner, um, and uh, it's actually quite a funny story. I was with uh, Björk there, <laughs> and uh, her was daughter. All of Iceland was at that dinner. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it was a small dinner, but uh, her daughter actually painted like there was some kind of trans show coming on, and they were like having the dinner in that for that purpose of watching that final showdown of, of some kind of <laughs> transvestite competition <laughs> on TV, and. Uh, and she actually painted like makeup. So was this me. in the previous career of the the fashion and arts? No, actually, yeah, yeah. Well, I had those, I guess, those connections from there. But uh, but this was uh, during uh, Clang days, actually. Uh, but just before we we started uh, making seed. Yeah. And um, and uh, this guy Lawrence Lessig sits next to me in the dinner, and I start kind of describing. I uh, see to him, and he kind of comes up with. I mean, he starts asking me about what, what about the government in the game, and, and how are you going to think about politics? And um, you know, I, I said, you know, we had some kind of rough ideas, but nothing really put down. And he got really interested in kind of working on this with us and helping us out. And so, uh, you know, the following week, I went and kind of did a more proper pitch to him. Uh, but after talking with him at the dinner, it, it, it was clear that he was very interested, and I, I kind of went to the bathroom and. Went for a pee and said, "Yes, I'm getting Lawrence Lassie on board." And I looked in the mirror and so I had this trans makeup on <laughs> the whole time I was talking to him. So I look very serious <laughs> right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Well, he's open-minded at least." And, and so, yeah. And the following week, I, uh, I talked to him, and then uh, later he he actually introduced us to Joe Ito, who's the uh, director of the MIT. Uh, uh, Media Lab, and he actually was uh, kind of the first investor to to take a step into Seed, and so hugely helpful to get him on board. And uh, later, Reid Hoffman, of course, followed, and that kind of set us off to get get going on the game. And then, uh, yeah, he's a huge he's a huge fan of games and strategy board games. I feel like Reid Hoffman is a yeah, yeah. He's 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 a big fan. Joe Ito as well. Uh, he had a big clan in World of Warcraft, and okay. uh, so they were really excited. They yeah. And so, so um, you mentioned briefly the way you were thinking about the government, um, and you also mentioned at the end that hopefully, in some way, it will inspire actual policy. Um, like, how in, how are you thinking of incentivizing the players to experiment on that front? Is that like a sort of active focus? You said that sort of part of the progression of the players will be to somehow make their way into government. Um, like, for the initial 
hundred, well, tens of thousands of users, whatever. Um, how are you thinking of structuring that, having governments compete and incentivizing people to have sort of concur uh, com competing forms of government? Yeah, so like it's it starts with uh, with you kind of starting your own uh, country of, of of sorts or community or colony or whatever you want to call it, and. Uh, I guess first, most people just start with an anarchy, like where they have friends and they just all work together. But if they want to grow, they have to start organizing. And that's where they kind of uh, go into the constitution editor and kind of propose a structure. And so if the community then votes to bring that in, then they can kind of start going and building a government. And so the players really create it from the ground up. Um, and obviously, the, the only way to organize uh, you know, large groups of players would be to, you know, build a quite a sophisticated government structure. Um, yeah. Also, you would need to tax money from the salaries so that you can have funding to, you know, benefit everybody in the community. And st and structures like that is is something that is pretty hard for uh, us in the real world to experiment with because obviously we would be experimenting with reality, which is. Uh, which can be done in, in other contexts, but like as for governments or political uh, structure, that's it's very risky. Yeah, well, there's no real place where you can really yeah. try that out. And so I think uh, just allowing for some experimentation should at least give us some insight. So that, so hopefully uh, that will grow into something very meaningful for yeah, the real world. So people will be able to test their tax evasion schemes on, on seed? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, let's hope so. Yeah. I mean, we, we do, we're very clear that we don't want to create a, a world of utopic systems. Like, this isn't about us kind of saying you, you should run a government like this or you should only tax like that, because that wouldn't, that wouldn't be the, the you know, true innovative uh, platform then. So we really do allow for full corruption because we also want to see, uh, you know, where and how players might combat uh, Corruption and yeah. what kind of systems they might then change or, you know, add some new laws to to try to, yeah, fight back. Uh, but if there were no com corruption, if we would completely kind of ban that, then, then obviously there would be no incentivization to do better or or build something more sophisticated. And how do you think about time? Because like a big thing with simulation games is that you can set some stuff up and then you can press next, 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 and like you wake up three months later and you can sort of see the fruits of what you've done. Obviously, when you're in MMO, that's much more complicated because yes. if you do fast forward, well, either no one fast forwards or everyone fast forwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, um, there's going to be no fast forward. And, and so, like, how are you going to? What's like? How are you thinking about time in, in, within the framework of the game? Well, I think mobile games have shown great uh, potential in where you play these simulation games where they, you can't fast forward. Um, they do sometimes monetize on that, but. Uh, you know what you see there is that you kind of you set something up and then you come later in the day and so it's a more kind of persistent experience where you're not kind of sitting down and in one place as you and you get to you know kind of a significant improvement it's about you know continuously kind of tweaking and improving your routines and uh, and so uh, we hope that the simulation will just be fruitful enough and, and detailed enough that you can enjoy simply uh, you know, setting stuff up and, and enjoying just the kind of ground level action uh, without having to fast forward. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, because I was, I was reading in, in an interview, you were mentioning like loads of the small subplots that you could make um, for these, for this like patience to be rewarded. You were mentioning something about 
um, I forget what it was, like y you running into somebody in your bed or something like that, um, <laughs> and then them coming up with like, you know, y you asking I I what is freedom and you responding, oh, yeah, that's yeah, not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was just a hilarious example from like one of our, our internal play sessions where uh, one of my characters actually went to uh, Otter's house, my co-founder's house, her name was Zoe, and she went sleeping in his house. So when I was like kind of making sure all my characters were at home, I saw that one of them was missing, and I, I'm, I see that she sat at Otter's house. Um, he's sitting back there, by the way, and uh, stealing my, my women. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so I send her back home, and, and so on her way back in the middle of the night, kind of a walk of shame, she has this thought, um, what is freedom? And uh, it was completely random because we had just introduced this thought system, and uh, but it, it kind of you know, showed the great potential that that story got created there just out of random uh, kind of uh, occurrences. But uh, for me, it, you know, it's very e easy to anthropomorphize, or whatever you say, yeah. however you say that word, uh, the dots between like what kind of story that was, even though obviously it wasn't in actuality. But I think uh, as a user, you're going to experience a lot of these kind of events, which will give you like meaning that uh, you know, isn't necessarily built in, but like it'll look like that and it'll feel like that, and and I think that's going to be exciting enough for. Yeah, because the, the fact that your characters aren't like dead or ghosts when you're not here yes. means that when you come back, you actually come back to news. Yes. So even if like the seeds that you planted haven't grown into a huge farm, well, maybe some of your characters have been like fooling around with the neighbors, and you can learn that when you when you come back. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. that's a. That's a nice way to put it. So time, time can go naturally, but you come up to sort of new news on seed. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. And so, in in terms of um, the way you you think about the development of the product, um, I'm just thinking like it's such a complex product. Um, how you know you come from an industry that's completely different. Um, how has how did that transition um, happen like for you on on a sort of coming from a time scale where you're doing season to season to going to time scale where you're like three years or four <laughs> years away from like I mean the the fashion pace was definitely driving me a bit nuts. It's so fast and there's just so much pressure all the time. You uh, seem like a pretty chilled person. To be <laughs> well, yeah, I mean it it, it calms you down in the end because you, you you stop getting worried about like you stop running the hamster wheel, right? And uh, I think that experience definitely uh, has taught me a lot, and there's a lot of learnings from the fashion industry that has helped me in, in the gaming scene. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very different industry for sure. Um, some of it uh, more boring, some of it more fun. Uh, so it's, it has its pros and cons. I think uh, you know what's very exciting about gaming is that like fashion and, and fine arts and films and stuff like that I was doing before is a, is a very kind of those are very glamorous industries that are you know very saturated with creative people and um, you know a lot of media around it and um, uh, I think uh, and they're all kind of you know they're not really growing at the speed of games and so entering games was obviously you know, doors are open, things are moving, like it's growing very fast. There's a lot of this kind of buzz happening around it. So it was really, yeah, that was really refreshing to come into a scene where, you know, everybody's really looking for the next new gaming company, whereas nobody's really lo looking for the next new fashion brand. Yeah. You know, we have our like Gucci's and, and Chanel's <laughs> and all that. And um, so that's a much harder market to break through. Um, 
uh, and so also like the upside of, of gaming is just so much greater than any of the other <laughs> creative fields. Yeah, that, so th that's sort of my, my last question before we open up to, to more questions is um, you, you mentioned that you wanted Seed to address essentially gamers unlike Second Life which, which might have like sort of non-traditional gaming people that, as users um, and I was looking at some data on who the users are for mobile games like Fortnite and it's like um, the crazy thing I saw is like more than 40% of users are women because mm. the mobile medium has made it so much more accessible than when it used to be mostly consoles. Um, and so I was wondering, you know, you're, you said that you're starting to think about um, who the user persona would be. Um, and given that you mentioned that, you know, you're going for the more traditional gamer, which at least in the sort of popular stereotype is mostly male, when you look at the people here, mostly male. <laughs> um, I was wondering, yeah, how you, how you thought about that and if you saw this, you know, who you thought the average seed user was going to be? Well, well, even though we make the game more gamey, it doesn't necessarily that mean that we're only going after gamers. We definitely are going after a more broad audience. Um, however, of course, we we you know really you know want the gamers as well. We want everyone. Um, but uh, but yeah, we definitely want to have a lot of kind of female elements in it. We're, we're, we we want to really try to remove the the eco shooter element or like the alpha male stuff and so uh, we have you know a lot of um, kind of just no more normal life events happening in there uh, however obviously like Fortnite shows that uh, girls also like shooting people so yeah. I, I mean I think uh, I think it'll be interesting to see once uh, I mean Sims is a great example of a game that was slightly more female yeah. but it was actually also had a lot of males playing it but um, uh, you know, it's a like some investors and, and strategics have often asked me, you know, this sounds like you're building, you know, real life and do you think people are going to be interesting, interested in having like to do all the things that they do in real life and... Uh, I already have a life. Yeah, like... These day-to-day -day things. But, you know, I, I, my answer is very clear on that, as if you look at any entertainment outside of gaming, it normally takes place in real life. Uh, you know, the biggest TV series of all time is probably like Friends, and that is a it's very like normal, normal yeah, it's yeah. like a super normal average life. We love, you know, like seeing and, and being entertained by a situation that we can imagine ourselves being a part of. And uh, you get to do it 10 times. Yeah, there thing. you get to do it 10 times, it moves faster, you can see the progression, but you also see the real problems that, you know, you might recognize from real life, uh, you know, mental health or disease or sleeping or hunger. And these are things that don't really happen in most games. Um, most games happen in where you're a superhero or you're some kind of wizard and you're trying to find a new wizard hat. And those things I don't think are as relatable as, as real life. And so uh, I think we'll, you know, go much further with, with something that you can relate to in this way. So the, the market for normalcy and normalcy in gaming is underserved. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, Sims they thought would sell. I think. I mean, it. I, I don't remember how much it sold, but it sold 160 times more than they had estimated. You know, it just shows how underserved the market for those kind of gaming experiences uh, is is lacking. So. Great. Um, well, that's the questions I have so far. If you have questions, I'm sure Wendy would be more than happy to have them. So could you please first give a round of applause to Wendy? And then, and 
Hi, uh, very interesting uh, game you have there. Um, I'm interested more about the uh, in-game economy systems uh, because you talked about political structures, but politics is also very much um, embedded into resource management and stuff like that. Yes. And maybe an extra question about um, business model, like is it freemium, uh, premium, paid, and stuff sure. like that? Yeah, um, so your first question, I mean, we are building a completely player-driven economy. Um, we haven't, we've, we've just been designing that for a long time now. We have some economists from uh, Switzerland that are working with us on it. Uh, so we're like taking that quite seriously. I mean, that kind of really drives the, the game in the end. Our first version of the game probably will have a very, very simplified version of what we aim to do later. But uh, yeah, so the economy is supposed to run much like it does in the real world where you have supply and demand, you have to ship everything, you can see prices drop and, and wane or, or, or go up uh, depending on the demand and stuff like that. Um, I have about, a, I think the design document is 40 or 50 pages now, so I could, could do another talk on, on just that. Um, but uh, in terms of, of the business model, I think we, because we're going to be simulating the characters in the game 24-7, um, so we are hoping to tie those to monetization. So you basically would, in a sense, kind of subscribe to what we call character slots uh, or buy them temporarily. So we're still kind of yeah, lingering around that design. But uh, something to do with how we can make sure that like, we don't just simulate and run the simulation without getting you know, money back with kind of barriers very quickly. So we want to try to tie those two together so it makes sense to scale up. Yeah, I mean, that would, in a sense, um, yeah, so if somebody would uh, kind of be able to really game it by just spending a lot of money, that would ruin the entire in-game economy. And that, that's one of the very important pillars of, of trying to build a online community for us. And so we can't really allow for, for that uh, to be so transparent. We, we will probably have some ways of allowing some people to spend more than others, uh, but that's still very much in the... Yeah, that would be the real world corruption of seed. Um, but we want to try to make it so that it benefits people in, across the entire game space when uh, players do that. And so we've we've come up with some ideas, nothing that I can really talk about here. But how does scarcity change? So yeah, so we we will have some form of finite resources. Um, how we kind of respawn and control that is is still uh, being designed, but. You know, the idea is that, you know, in you know in the forest there's a lot of wood, and so maybe over in the desert where there's no trees, uh, those people want to buy it, and so they, you know, buy off the people in the forest, and, and of course uh, uh, the price then, you know, might go up for the people in the desert, but there's another forest where people can also ship wood, and so, you know, they might lose the client over to there, and then the they might drop the price, and so that kind of fluctuation is something we're, we're going for. But yeah, like also having some form of finite, so you can really, you know, really build up tension around those resources. Yeah, thanks for the talk. Uh, I was wondering, so if you get this grand vision, I imagine there is some interactions that are possibly interesting to study. I'm just wondering, have you thought of what you're going to do in terms of access to the data? Meaning, so you're going to generate these interactions between people doing different things. 
So are people going to be able to externally access to that data somehow, or are you going to hold it? Or No, I absolutely want to be as transparent as we can and share the data as much as we can. I mean, uh, that's also why, like, Lawrence is, for example, working with us, because he's really interested in the data, and I think uh, sharing that is, is one of the kind of uh, noble parts of, of doing this, and so we're not just uh, some money-grabbing monsters. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big task, so uh, where we'll be at with that transparency upon launch is going to depend on, like, how much work we've been able to put into it uh, at that point. But the goal in the future is definitely to have, you know, a lot of this data uh, available for everyone. I mean, we might have to do some kind of mechanics that, you know, don't allow players to game it, and so just use the data to kind of get an advantage on somebody else um, in the game. And so we probably will have some kind of delay where the da data becomes available. But uh, yeah, we'll figure that out for sure. Okay. Cool. Thanks. Hi. Um, hey. Can you also uh, in the game d decide to disobey the law? I mean, start a criminal gang, start like a group like ISIS, just take over territory with violence and with force and start your private army and overthrow legitimate governments? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, absolutely. Like, that's the idea, right? That's why you have to make laws. Because if, if you couldn't, couldn't break them or if there couldn't be any kind of criminal acts, you wouldn't really need laws in the first place. And so. Um, I think we will uh, act quickly and hastily when somebody like calls their clan ISIS uh, <laughs> or like Nazis or whatever things like that, uh, and we'll shut that down. Uh, but you know, with a different name, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like we want to see um, you know all these behaviors. We want to track them, see where they come from, how they act, like. You know, these are the real-world threats that we're dealing with, and so obviously we don't want to suffocate them because that is valuable data to understand how we could fight back. Right? <laughs> uh. So, yeah, you mentioned that um, a character generated a thought, like what is freedom? Yeah, right? yeah. So I was wondering how is that thought generated and what do you hope to create with that, like in the player? What is, what is the aim of... Um, like yeah, so actually that thought was just a, a part of the very early design of that system, which basically just had the characters think up random uh, philosophical thoughts. <laughs> uh, that we just, yeah, we just like listed up like a bunch of them and they would just randomly have them. And this just like aligned so beautifully and that's why um, I anthropomorphized. Um, but. Uh, but uh, like the new thought system actually is, is very much connected to their experience, and so they might have uh, they might see a you know corpse, let's say, on the ground, and they will have the thought, "Oh my God, I just saw a corpse," and that thought then goes into their kind of mood um, and lingers for la for a, for a you know flexible time, depending on the severity of that thought, and will then kind of drag down their mood. Um, so if they keep seeing corpses, they might get into a bad mood. And having a bad mood for an extended period of time will kind of drag down their psyche. And, you know, if the average of their mood is really low, then the psyche goes down and down and down until they start, you know, developing bad traits like alcoholism or depression. And then they start, you know, 
uh, you start losing more and more control of them. So you want to try to provide them with a you know a, a life of good thoughts, let's say, uh, where they have a comfy bed and uh, they enjoy their relationships and all that. And then they will have good thoughts like oh, I had such a good sleep or I, I had such a good time with uh, uh, this this uh, person last night. Um, and uh, and their mood mood will be good, and they will be you know happy and work well and and uh, you know deliver more prosperity. Yeah, I'm just thinking because as you keep talking, I see that there is more and more things built in there, and I'm wondering how do you what's your system to decide how to keep the scope, as in because there is this, ah. all these infinite uh, like apparently infinite effort mechanics that you want to put there, so. Yeah, so we um, have a meeting room where we can all sit down. We have a list of all the features, uh, and then we kind of get all topless and fight it out. And <laughs> then we, you know, the the one man that leaves on top gets to decide who. Uh, <laughs> um. No, no, it's it's uh, that's the the big problem, right? Like it's such a massive uh, project. So we we really spend a lot of time trying to scope it down and try to figure out what is the most uh, relevant thing to work on. Um, and we've. Uh, so we're still, you know, doing that even two years in. Um, but uh, like the idea isn't that we we launch the game in its full form, uh, but rather that we launch it in its uh, most minimum viable form, and then, you know, build up from there. So we try to prioritize features that, um, you know, are the groundwork or the kind of the foundation first, and so that we can continuously build on that for years to come. Um, hopefully reaching the ultimate kind of uh, scope that we, we dream of. Okay, thanks. So instead of like, for example, building something that, that's kind of far far in the future, we try to, you know, like for example, the government system, you know, even though we've been spending a lot of time designing that, we're probably not going to start working on that f in the next, you know, one and a half years. Mm. Like actually bringing the system into the game. Yeah. So it's also a big marketing effort afterwards too. Likes because you're, for example, in talks like these, you're explaining what the game is, but it's kind of not what the game is going to be soon, right? It's I mean, we won't launch the game for the next uh, couple of years. So, like, why I, I talk about the politics system is that I think that's my <laughs> favorite system. Yeah. Uh, and it's also something that uh, I feel like is, you know, in terms of, like, what the game could do for the world, like, very important. Um, and it's also the thing that I think, you know, can raise a lot of interesting questions and a lot of topics uh, that I'm, of course, uh, selfishly trying to drain out of you guys. So. Mm -hmm. Cool. It's an interesting concept. Thanks, Paul. Hi, thanks for, uh, for the talk. I um, was just wondering, uh, what is the most optimistic and short-term real-life application you would see for uh, Seed in the sense of your expectations, your hopes, uh, your concrete plans, maybe? In terms of like when we would release it, or? Yeah, I mean, I, I, my most optimistic is that like we're gonna, you know, build the most detailed simulation of like human society ever made. And so I think there's, you know, a, a quite a lot of applications for that um, in, <laughs> in reality. I mean, uh, we could think about, you know, what kind of effect 
does ATCs have on a small economy or what uh, does traffic, how does that affect uh, you know, the production of something and thus affect the economy or how, what kind of government system uh, you know, avoids the most corruption or how do people panic around diseases, like the list will go on. And I think uh, there was an incident in a game called World of Warcraft, as you're probably familiar with, uh, called the Corrupt Blood Incident, which was a bug that was actually um, some player managed to take his path and get it like um, infected by some spell that a mega evil boss uh, did on it, and then he teleported the path back into the main capital. And this spell worked in a way uh, like an infectious virus, so it spread amongst people. And this became a um, huge interest of, of many scientists to, to really look into this and, and analyze this as a, as a kind of model for like, how people might behave uh, in, in a viral breakout. And uh, this was a bug uh, in a game that you know, is very un far from any kind of realistic uh, elements. And so, I think with, with our game, like we could take that kind of kind of stuff much further, and we're not shying away. Like, you know, the Blizzard, the company that makes World of Warcraft, made uh, a big statement afterwards after this all got blown out of proportion in the science community that like World of Warcraft is not a game uh, meant for scientific study, and it's like, you know, just a computer game, and this was just one incident, blah blah blah. But for us, that's like completely the opposite. Like we want this to be a use case for all kinds of uh, analyzation and, and you know science work, hopefully in the future. So that is you know our our kind of uh, yeah like our our main goal, I guess, in terms of like what this could become. Uh, you know how how these applications will become uh, useful is is of course gonna you know time will tell. But yeah, that's our dream. Hi, really interesting. I'm piggybacking on that then. Um, are you anticipating any psychological ramifications? I mean, gamers at their worst are not always the, they could be quite unhinged and you're talking about real life stressors and in this simulation where you're now splitting yourself up into multiple personalities, interacting with other multiple personalities across the globe. I mean, do you, do you anticipate um, people becoming sort of lost in the game the way they um, joked about it with Second Life, but I mean, this sounds like you're really, you're not trying to do just a simple simulation, but something more uh, sophisticated. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, first of all, like the immersiveness is, is lower than, than I would say for like a first person shooter where you're like looking through the eyes of a character. You're, you're still kind of, it's not ready to play one. You're looking from above. You, you really like, you're not one of the people there. Uh, so, f so I think that immersion will kind of, you know, give you a, a little bit of a shield from from going nuts. And, uh, um, but um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, there's always some people that will play too much, and you know, that is unavoidable. I think for most entertainment, some people read too many books. You know, even back in the day, like people thought books were, you know, a tool of the devil, and and that's kind of what games are are going through now. I mean, even like everything from books, radio, TV, like it's always been criticized for making people insane. And so we're not like, you know, truly worried about this actually happening. 
uh, especially because I think there's there's games out there that would that would be way more aggressive in terms of, especially in terms of immersion and kind of making you believe that you're in a in a in a you know in in the mind of another another being. Uh, and on top of that, I mean, how players behave and like are aggressive towards each other. Uh, most games don't really have a way of truly punishing uh, that kind of behavior, and so there is no real uh, reason why you shouldn't just shoot your neighbor in the face or or burn down his house or whatever. And like, even though that will be possible in Seed, there'll be uh, you know quite the toll of of losing your characters and losing everything. Because you really have to build it up, and the players really have to police each other, and so it's also about kind of incentivizing that kind of uh, structured behavior where players really become sophisticated in terms of building societies that you know manage to you know combat those kind of uh, griefers, as, as such as they're called in the gaming space. Hi, Megan. <laughs> uh, do you think players will strive to um, achieve a stable political system, or will they just try to overthrow systems again and again, and again just because violence is fun and it's everybody wants to be on top? Um, that is that is uh, up to them. I think like uh, I think the ones that will build the most you know stable and structured government will be on top because they can then uh, just be way more efficient with all the resources and their, their people and all of that. Um, but yeah, I, I, would have, I would expect it to go through kind of similar phases as we've seen in history where, you know, it starts as the wild, wild west where everybody's just kind of being very chaotic, chaotic and, and killing each other. Uh, but then somebody more like smarter will build something more sophisticated and be able to, you know, rise to the top and then other players will look at that look at that player and think like that's how it's supposed to be played and let's do the same and so you know I think you know that will happen of course like much faster than <laughs> the history of humanity but uh, but hopefully it will happen. <laughs> so it's more people looking at other societies and uh, adapting them copying them because they work well uh, and less people like overthrowing the current government that they are in. Um, I think copying will be something players will do, of course, but like I also think like different government structures will work for different kind of governments or like different scenarios. So you might have a society that's very focused on trade and then you kind of have to have different tax models because, you know, everything revolves around trade, whereas another, you know, colony that's very focused on uh, military action, you know, will then, you know, have to build a completely different structure. Um, so... Can you split up if you want? Like, for instance, uh, in the in America, they tried to succeed. Like, they had a civil war about it when they wanted to have, be their own country. Will it be possible to like uh, try to take your own part of the world out of another system? Yes, and yeah. uh, will the system try to take you back, or will they let you go, or will it will it be up to the players to decide? Or yeah, that will, that that will again, like the players must decide. Like, I think uh, a lot of this will be role playing and just happening between people, and they can mm -hmm. truly like communicate, just like we're doing right here. And so you might say to me, hey, I'm going to leave the family right now and I can, you know, try to walk over there and grab your hand and say, you're not going anywhere, right? And so, so like, you can have your country, but you have to work for us <laughs> yeah, to so give us resources. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I didn't really hear that. But like, I think, um, yeah, players, players will be able to role play all these kind of uh, things into, into action, yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, my God.
Thanks for listening, everyone. If you want to learn more about the family, go to thefamily.co. See you next week.